Good morning, church. Good morning. I want to welcome everyone at our campuses joining us today, New Milford, Waterbury, Derby, and online. You know, if you're new or visiting, my name is Adam DePasquale. I serve as one of our lead pastors, and uh, I just want to say it's wonderful that you're with us today. We hope that you really find a home here and are able to worship with us. You know, I want to start by saying that I believe that exciting things are happening here at Walnut Hill, and I just want to put my affirmation and say, I'm excited for all that God's going to do in our future. So I want to encourage you and ask that you would include Walnut Hill in your daily prayers as we move forward. You know, we're in the midst of a 10-week summer sermon series called By Faith. We're going through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. These are stories of ordinary men and women, just like you and me, who have been called by God to trust him and to step out into what I call extraordinary situations, right? And uh, our prayer for the summer is that each one of us would grow further in our faith, and that as a church, we'd grow further in our faith. Our prayer is that we would walk away each week with some practical tips and tools so that we can live for Jesus more passionately. You know, today's passage is arguably the most challenging passage of the whole chapter. And as Craig and I were praying about Who possibly could be um, the person? Who possibly could be qualified to preach on this this sermon? Uh, Only a few people came to our mind, and in a minute you're going to understand why. But before I introduce you to our guest, I want to read today's passage and step back a few verses to give you context. So uh, would you open your hearts to the word of the Lord? How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. And here's today's passage. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. You know, last week we saw that as Christ followers, so often following Jesus means walking through challenges and obstacles. And today we see that sometimes life brings persecution, ridicule, hardship, trials, Seasons where we lose any sense of control that we even thought we might have had. Seasons where we go, Lord, where are you? And so today, rather than focus on the stories in this passage, we wanted to focus on the overarching issue here. How do we trust God when we're going through hardship? How do we walk through life when we don't know where God is? So I'm blessed today to introduce our special guest Peter Scalzo Jr. has been coming to Walnut Hill since the 1980s. He's served on our elder board. He helped start our cancer support um, group, which ministers to individuals and families who are walking through cancer journeys. 
Peter's been on our Celebrate Recovery leadership team for nine years. He's currently serving as our Celebrate Recovery leader. Many don't know this, but Peter travels throughout the region meeting with pastors and churches, helping them learn how to become more compassionate and start care ministries. Maybe you're one of the thousand people that Peter has visited in the hospital and prayed with when you're going through a hard time. See, Peter has walked through his own cancer journey for the past 18 years. Probably most personal to me is that I accounted a blessing that Peter's a friend and that when my wife was diagnosed with cancer a few years ago, he was one of the first people I called on the phone. And I'm so grateful that he picked it up. In that moment, Peter became my pastor. So church, would you please honor and welcome Peter Scalzo Jr. Good morning. I have water and tissues with me, so we're not sure what's going to happen this morning. I may actually use both. It's my pleasure to be here this morning. I've actually been part of Walnut Hill Community Church now since 1986. I was two years old then. No, that's not true. I live in Brookfield. I have six children and one grandchild. Let's pray. Lord, as I step into vulnerability this morning, and transparency. Jesus, would you use these words to minister not only to myself, but also to my family here. If anyone's feeling overwhelmed this morning in a place of brokenness and pain, Jesus, we ask that you minister to each one of us, Lord. And let this service, let this talk, Jesus, be an offering to you, Lord. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm 43 years old. I'm sitting on the examining table of a local urologist. After a year of not feeling well, seeing blood in my urine and seeing two other urologists and they, didn't, they couldn't figure out what was going on. And I'm sitting at that table. My wife is sitting right next to me and the urologist walks in after having done a procedure on me to analyze what was going on inside of my bladder. And whenever your doctor's scratching his or her head, it's not a good sign. But he said, I don't know how to tell you this, you have high-grade bladder cancer. I didn't fit any of the risk categories for that cancer, so it was a shock to us and to him. I immediately became nauseous. He said, you're turning green I had to lay down, and after I composed myself, I went outside, called my mother, who was in a place of pain herself. She was in the end stages of cancer, ovarian cancer, and I said, I'm too young to die, and she said, well, let's do this a day at a time. Let's take it a moment at a time. So the three things I dealt with is, I don't understand, Lord, where is the blessing, What do I do with the fear, anger, and sadness? Lord, is it okay? I'm a man of faith. Can I experience fear, anger, and sadness? Do I have permission to do that? Does it mean that I have a lack of faith? And I was entering a space that was not only a physical battle, but it would be an emotional and spiritual growth for me also. He was going to use this journey to strip me down and then to build me back up. Pastor Adam has asked me to speak this morning about faith and endurance. A lot of you could be up here this morning as experts on this topic. I believe that God has, for me, two essential choices to make. 
as I travel through endurance and travel through, through my health journey. And I'm going to talk about really three highlights from my, from my cancer journey. I'm asked to speak in many venues about my cancer journey. I've been doing it for about seven years now. I have a website called cancerandpeace.com. We do a weekly podcast. I actually released a book that God had me write back in 2019 called Cancer and Peace, My 15-Year Journey. Did I set out to be vulnerable and transparent sitting on that examining table hearing the news that I had high-grade bladder cancer, which was really rare? No. I was just clinging to the fact of how was I going to do this journey? Was I going to live? I had six children, a busy attorney at the time. How am I going to get income? What's going to happen with my kids? For me, it's not about sensationalizing the events, my cancer journey. It's about saying yes to God's ask and giving him the glory that is his alone. I want to highlight a scriptural principle that really talks about and illustrates my yes to be vulnerable about this journey. It's, it's from 2 Corinthians 12, where the apostle Paul describes a visit to heaven. Paul indicates that in order not to be prideful about that visit, God sent him a messenger from Satan, the scripture says, we, and actually gave him a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. We know it was painful. And Paul prayed three times for that thorn to be removed, and God said no three times. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul responded, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. This morning, I stand before you boasting in my weaknesses. I've often said in my cancer journey, I can't, but Jesus can I want to give a summary of what's happened, just a quick resume, and I have to look at my notes for this. I am in my 18th year of this cancer journey, and it's ongoing. I had a couple procedures in June and July in the operating room. I saw my surgeon on Thursday. I'm constantly getting looked at. I've had 15 mostly major surgeries, one described as the most extensive ever done in urology. My cancer became metastatic in 2015, high-grade urothelial metastatic cancer. I have surgical procedures every three to five months since 2017 to change ureteral stents and check for cancer. I've had countless procedures, scans and tests, chemo rinses, eight weeks of radiation therapy. I am in my seventh year of systemic immunotherapy treatments. I've had six recurrences. I am struggling with chronic kidney disease because of the tumors. And twice I was told to go home and call hospice by Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, arguably one of the best cancer centers in in the United States. In 2015, I was given a 5% chance of survival. My case is talked about in the U.S. and around the world by my surgeon. The word endurance means patience under suffering. The sister word perseverance for it means continuing in the face of difficulty. This morning, I believe there are two choices that I make in order to have patience under suffering. I offer them as choices because of my participation in the process. The two choices are 
acceptance, and purpose. We have some foundational scriptures, just a few, and then I'll get back into my story. When I surrendered my life and will to Jesus, scripture tells me that God took residence in my life and in your life too. I participate, but it is his work, not mine. Philippians 2.13 states, for God, it's God who is working in you, giving you the desire and, to, and the power to do what pleases him. Also in Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God has a great purpose and plan for our lives, including trials, pain, and suffering. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it reads like this. Dear brothers and sisters, and that's me, that's you, that's all of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. When troubles of any kind come your way, they are inevitable. They will come. And some are what we call earthquake events, walls, or what St. John of the Cross would call dark nights of the soul, such as relationship issues, separation, divorce, life-changing health events, problems with children, parents, death of a loved one, financial crisis, addiction, depression, disillusioning experience with God, and so forth. Next, the text says to consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wow, Peter, that's, uh, that's a challenge, isn't it? It's a paradox. There's other paradoxes in Scripture like be thankful in all circumstances. Really, all of them? You have to have an attitude of gratitude or rejoice in the Lord always. These are two seemingly contradictory thoughts that actually come together and form a truth for us, a spiritual truth. An opportunity for great joy. It's a choice that I make. Not fleeting happiness, but no matter what is going on, a deep confidence that Jesus is in charge and has a loving purpose in store. The text goes on to say, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, patience under suffering, has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Gosh, I'd like to be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And what I think the, the text means by that is the result is spiritual and emotional maturity and greater intimacy with Jesus. We're not talking about sinless perfection here. Consider Paul, Paul who told the churches, be an imitator of me, watch me and do what I do. And then later on in his life, he said, Jesus came to save sinners of which I am the chief sinner. It's that sinner saint concept. And finally, in Luke 8, it's the story where Jesus and the disciples get in the boat to travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus purposefully, purposefully directs the men into a storm that they can't handle. It's a very interesting text. Jesus is asleep in the boat. You may remember this story 
when they finally exhaust all their efforts, I've done that many times, and believe they will die in the storm, they wake him up. Jesus goes to the bow of the boat and calms the storm and asks them the question, where is your faith or where is your trust? And I would just say this, church, that my storm is a mirror for me. What has he shown me about myself? My storm has caused me to journey inward, to discover myself and to be a man in the mirror, to really look at who I am and my trust in God, my brokenness, who I am. My personal story illustrates that even with the faith of a mustard seed, God can do great things. There have been times when I have been in the pit of disillusion and doubt, and God has come through and done great things. The question is, how does Jesus want to transform me in the storm? What hinders me from surrendering and trusting in him? I've prayed over a lot of people to be healed from cancer, and I always want to see that. Abba, Daddy, please heal. But underneath it all is, God, what are you showing this person? What do you want to do in their lives? How are you transforming this person? The concept of purpose is essential for understanding suffering. Purpose is a pathway to hope and peace. Pain that acts as a conduit to show me my brokenness and dependence on Jesus is redemptive pain, not wasted. Sometimes we may never know the specific purpose of the reason for pain and suffering. Job did not know of the interaction God had with Satan. When Job asked God for an explanation, God responded in his sovereignty, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world. These are questions that I've had to ask and answer. Can I surrender and trust in Jesus in my storm? Is he trustworthy? Do I believe he is weaving a tapestry of my life, even though all I see is the chaos underneath of threads going everywhere? Can I walk in dependence on and trust especially when I don't understand his plan or like his timing? Can God really weave his plan and purpose in the midst of free will and enemy and the brokenness of this world? Is he really all-loving, all-powerful, and in charge? July 27th, 2005, a few months after I was on the examining table learning about the cancer, I found myself at Memorial Sloan Kettering uh, with one of the best surgeons in, in the nation. And it was the day of my surgery. We got there early in the morning. The plan was to remove the prostate, remove the bladder, remove a section of the ureter, and replace it with intestinal tissue. The threat was if the cancer had breached the bladder wall or any of those areas, I would live about six months. As I was being wheeled into surgery, I was quoting Galatians 2.20, the first part, for I have been crucified with Christ. This is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As I laid on the surgical table with my arms outstretched for the IVs, God spoke in my heart. And he said, I'm going to remove the physical cancer from you. And I'm also going to remove the spiritual cancer. 
and I was going under, I thought, what does that mean? And I don't like the sound of it. The surgery was successful. I was in the hospital for three weeks recovering. And I think the big takeaway for me was God's presence. A man would come into my room and he would mop the floor, just a worker. I didn't want to get up. The nurses wanted me to get up and walk, but I had a huge incision. I couldn't do narcotic pain meds, so I was in pain. But they wanted me to walk. And the man would mop my floor and hum, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And it was as if there was a thick blanket that would descend and cover me. And I started to weep and I would get up and I would do my rounds. I never spoke with that worker. He would just be there every morning. I remember looking in the mirror in the restroom in my gown and all the tubes saying, there is no other place I would rather be than here right now because of the intensity of his presence. I also heard God speak into my heart that he wanted me to be transparent about the journey. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Even though I experienced fear and sadness, I walked in acceptance of God's purpose for me in this. I felt his peace. This was the message that I heard from him because I was trying to get a theological framework for what was going on with me. You are mine. When you surrendered your life and will to me, you became my adopted son. I transferred you to the kingdom of my son and you have a great inheritance. You have been bought with a price and I own you. I want you to hear me. And this is important. I did not cause the harm, but this trial filtered through my hands first. I did not cause the harm, but this trial filtered through my hands first. I have a purpose and a plan to prosper you, to bring transformation to you and others. I love you. Well, just about 10 years later, things didn't go as I planned. Imagine that. Ten years later, I was facing my 14th surgery. I always had surgical solutions, tough surgeries, but they always were able to remove the cancer. I was down at Lenox Hill Hospital in Manhattan. Sloan Kettering couldn't handle my case surgically anymore. I went to a a major surgeon that dealt with what I needed done. It was November 2nd, 2015. This surgery would be a game changer, a sea change for me. Incredibly painful, yet incredible growth. I knew there was a lot going on, but the MRI, CT scan, and PET scan had not stopped the surgery from going forward. After three surgeons worked on me for 10 hours, I woke up in ICU with my surgeon sitting on my bed. This was the third time I had been gutted out revising my urinary system with more intestinal tissue. Due to the cancer, now both ureters, my bladder was revised, reconstructed with intestinal tissue. He was matter of fact, the cancer was much worse than what we thought. There were tumors all throughout the area, the region wrapped around my aorta, I would need a high-powered chemo, but the tumors had damaged 
my kidneys. There had been 50 years of experience between the three surgeons, and at one point they all stopped, looked up at each other, and said, what do we do next? I saw plumbing drawings on the, sh- on the pillow sheet next to my head. He left my room, and I knew what it meant. High-grade met- metastatic urothelial cancer. It had a 5% survival rate. I plummeted into the darkest place that I've ever been. I didn't even know a place like that existed. St. John of the Cross would have described it as a deep, deep, dark night of the soul. Not just one night, but many. I laid in that dark, icy room with all the machines whirling away. I tell you now, I lost my footing. I was adrift in a sea of hopelessness and disillusionment. How could this be happening? I did not turn to God. I despaired and bathed in fear. What would my end of life journey look like? What would happen to my family? Then I bathed in anger. I shook my fist. You told me I would not only have a future, but ministry from this, that you would use this pain and suffering for transformation. I bathed in sadness. This is it. Life is over. I knew that I did not have the strength to go on. I was completely bankrupt of any will to move forward with recovery. I said, I can't do this anymore, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. My body was devastated physically. I would spend another month in the hospital. However, I had metastatic cancer, and I couldn't receive treatment. I was done. I would move into an end-of-life process. It was over. I had done end-of-life processes many times with folks from our cancer support group. Sloan advised for me to call hospice and get my affairs in order. My son stayed with me 24-7, playing hymns and reading scripture, but I could not respond. I wanted no guests. I was frozen with trauma and bathing in fear and sadness. My buddy Johnny D messaged me in the midst of this. How's it going? He said, I texted him back, it's dark and getting darker. Johnny D got down on his knees and asked the Lord what to do. The next morning, he showed up at the hospital with an empty journal. What are you doing here and what is this? After four days in ICU, I picked up that journal, began to write. I was completely honest with Jesus. My tough emotions poured out. Where are you? Why is this so terrible? Why have you abandoned me? That's when it happened. I felt the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus wrapping his arms around me. I was being rescued. He was doing what I couldn't do. I want you to hear this. Even though my diagnosis and prognosis didn't change, that dark hospital room became a room of light. Even though my diagnosis and prognosis didn't change, that dark hospital room became a room of light. He reassured me. The message was this, I am with you, and I want you to be completely honest with me. I wired you with emotions, and I want you to express and process them. However, I don't want you to be ruled by them. I want you to walk in truth. I will remind you of my truths. I know he was not disappointed or angry with me. I felt his embrace. In fact, I believe he wept with me. It was an opportunity to grow in intimacy 
and dependence on Jesus. Jeremiah and Job in the Bible had cursed the day they were born. And David and Jesus exclaimed, my God, why have you forsaken me? The scriptures are filled with the full range of emotional expression. For example, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. And Jesus experienced tough emotions in the Garden of Gethsemane. After this, I received downloads, which I recorded in my journal, roughly 23 of them, mostly scriptures. For example, Psalm 23, 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. One of my favorite, Romans 8, 38 through 39. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. First Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and your cares to God, for he cares about you. And John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A year before this surgery, I began an inner journey. And it was really the spiritual surgery that God had talked about in 2005. I was having my marriage struggles. It's 2014 and I went for counseling and it happened to be a Celebrate Recovery pastor. For those of you who don't know, CR is a Christ-centered 12-step ministry for anyone dealing with a hurt, habit, or hang-up. I was familiar with 12 steps, and I thought, that's for addicts. That's for alcohol and drug and things like that. I can't really relate. I had been a Christ follower for 42 years, but I was in a place of deep hurt and brokenness. Honestly thought I had no answers. Matthew 5.3, one of my life verses states, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. For one year, this counselor led me through a step four, fearless and honest inventory about myself. For the first time, I looked inside and I revealed secret sins. CR is about focusing on the log in my own eye. I have found a safe place in CR, a place to be myself in a judgment-free zone without people trying to fix me. For me, it is a spiritual and emotional growth program where I can discover myself and do inner work. I will always struggle on planet Earth and need a process. I am still involved. I introduce myself in CR with this. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with getting my value and worth from people and performance. I struggle and I'm gaining healing with resentment, unhealthy anger, and fear. And my name's Peter. This was the spiritual surgery God had promised. Acceptance. 
In CR, we use a prayer called the Serenity Prayer. The theme of the prayer is surrender, trust, and acceptance. God, grant me the serenity to accept those things that I can't change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. I've been help, helping to facilitate the cancer support group here at this church, which is in its 17th year. My buddy Keith Sherrick and I started it in 2006. We journey with people as they process grief and trauma. But a lot of times I ask them the question, how do you find peace? The answer is acceptance. It's a loaded word, isn't it? I grew up as an emotion stuffer. At a young age, I cried easily. I remember making a decision to not cry or show weakness or vulnerability. I became a robot who performed and I thought had no time for feelings. In reality, my feelings were buried alive inside, not dead. God wanted me to travel in emotional health. I love a program called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. My cancer journey has meant one major aspect, loss. I left my law practice in 2017 to go on disability. Physically, I'm limited. I am divorced. I have to ask myself, am I honestly and prayerfully facing my losses and limits? I've had to face denial and also my own bargaining with God. When I process emotions, I attempt to identify and recognize what I'm feeling and then prayerfully probe what is behind them. I ask the question, what does God have to say? For instance, I have to do a lot of tests and procedures to check for cancer. I feel anxiety many times before the test, during. And after I acknowledge it, recognize it, Lord, I'm feeling this, I look at my experience with Jesus, and I say, Lord, what am I scared of? And I'm, and I'm fearful about a recurrence. Jesus responds, your faith is built on a bedrock of these experiences. I acknowledge his words of comfort. I am in charge. I love you. I am with you. I am safe. Nothing is impossible for me. Also, I have an awesome exit strategy for leaving planet Earth. God has given me a blessed assurance that his heaven will be amazing and beyond anything that I can imagine. Control is a big issue for me. I want to control my life. There's a principle in CR that says, realize I'm not God. I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. In other words, I am not in control over my health, people, places, and things in my life, only in how I choose to respond. I am a broken man and need Jesus for life itself. I am open to trusting him in my pain and suffering, to surrender my life and will to him. I am open to maybe not seeing his purpose and plan, but know that he has great things in store for me. I am open to bringing to him my full depth of emotions, my dreams, and desires. 
I will end with this highlight and story. In 2017, the elders and pastors at this church had an all-night prayer vigil for me in the prayer room. There were about 21 of us. We asked for healing, comfort, and peace for myself and others. The truth of the matter is that I had seen people and loved ones healed physically from cancer, and I had also traveled end-of-life journeys with many others as they passed into glory. I was traveling in acceptance. I asked Jesus for healing for myself, but my main focus was, Jesus, how do you want to transform me in this storm? I lasted till about 5 a.m. that night, but I don't know if I've ever felt as much love and support than in that room with 21 guys. Before the all-night prayer vigil, I found myself at a New York hospital with my brother, and walked in a teary-eyed surgeon, a teary-eyed oncologist, and a fellow who was actually crying. We were all done. Tumors were throughout my urinary system and in the region. I went home. They sent me home to do an end-of-life process. I left YouTube videos of myself going through the serenity prayer so that my children could see how I process difficulty in life. I wrote a letter from my heart to each child. It took me one week to get through each letter. I was saying goodbye. I was working on acceptance, traveling through sadness. I did not know God's purpose or plan, but I was at peace. I prepared to visit heaven, watching near-death experiences and just being with Jesus. I did not care about material possessions or traveling. I cared about close relationships and leaving behind a legacy of purpose and faith. I got a call on some brand new clinical trials. I couldn't do chemo because of the, my kidneys were so damaged. There were three major cancer centers that wouldn't do it on me. Those two clinical trials were phase one trials. My surgeon wasn't all that excited about the prospect. But six months earlier, the FDA had approved a brand new drug for people struggling with high-grade metastatic urothelial cancer with poor kidney function. He said, this is the only one we can try. We started the infusion. I had side effects. The surgeon scoped me in his office. I could see the tumor in my bladder when he scoped me. I said, wow, that's big. He said, well, it used to be the size of a tennis ball. Now it's the size of a golf ball. We went three more months. I had infusions every three weeks. I went into his office. We went back to his room. He inserted the scope and he yelled, the tumor is gone. The tumor is gone. Since I was such a spiritual giant, I said, wow, immunotherapy. And my non-evangelical surgeon said, immunotherapy, nothing. This is God. <laughs> I had a response that less than 1% of folks get. Church, this is for you this morning. The docs call me an anomaly. I should not be alive. I am in unchartered territory. They really don't know what to do with me, so we keep doing the same stuff.
God can do whatever he wants as he gets all the glory. I don't have time to go into what I do in the space of self-care to endure, but I'll just mention a few things as a list. Silence and solitude, contemplative prayer, walks and trauma exercises, a gratitude journal, and hanging out with life-giving people. God wants to use the comfort that I've received from him to give comfort to others, and that's why I spend so much time in the cancer space. So this morning as I wrap up, I really felt the Lord saying to me that there really should be an opportunity for people, for my people, to let go, surrender, and give over whatever you're dealing with. It might be the first time that you are going to let go and surrender and trust your life with Jesus. It may be that earthquake event going on in your life or that trial. But we're going to have an opportunity. Pastor Adam's going to come up in just, just a little while. We're going to have an opportunity for you to be able to let go, surrender, and give it over to, to Jesus.